Australian writer and surf media mainstay Sean Doherty has become the unintentional tip of the spear in a public fight against a large Norwegian oil company who has a proposal to drill in the ocean off the south coast of Australia. Sean has worked in editorial and writing roles for Surfing Life, Surfing, Surfer, and he launched his career at Trax in 1996. He's authored the books MP The Life of Michael Peterson, the follow-up MP Untold, as well as My Brother's Keeper, the official Bra Boy story. As a producer on the 40-minute Patagonia film Nevertown, he documented one small town's fight to preserve their land and coastline against offshore drilling in the Great Australian Bight. You can watch that film on surfsplendorpodcast.com. Spoiler alert, the townspeople temporarily won that battle. The film was Sean's education to this oil drilling lease originally held by BP. When Sean made that film, and even up until two weeks ago, he did not expect to be the point person for public education and information dissemination for this new fight against Norwegian oil company Equinor. I'll let him detail how exactly that happened and what his precise position is. We'll do all of that for the first 30 minutes of this discussion, and then we spend the next hour discussing the ever-evolving and perhaps seemingly diminishing value of what we view as traditional surf media. That is, print surf photography and print surf writing, the mediums that Sean has worked in for the past 23 years. He illuminates what those things mean now and the adjustments that will be required for those things to thrive in the future. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I hope that you enjoy my conversation with Sean Doherty. Good to have you here, Dave. Thank you. This is my first beer in Australia. How's it taste? I don't know, I'll tell you. You know, it comes 100 yards across the road. It's brewed. Mm. Keep it local here. It's amazing. It's perfect. Um, I'll give you a proper introduction later, like in post, so we can just go straight into a conversation. No worries. Let's start with the Australian bite situation, the fight Mm. fight for the bite situation. What is the issue? Uh, yeah, it's a situation, all right. Um, basically, where it's at right now is a Norwegian oil giant wants to drill a hole about 350 kilometres out into the Southern Ocean uh, and, and look for oil. So there's nothing down there right now. There's no offshore industry in the bite. Um, and a lot of people want to keep it that way. What's the issue with doing that? I mean, knowing that people have drilled for oil everywhere around the world. Yep. Yeah, obviously. Yep. Uh, a couple of things. Well, it would be the furthest out anywhere in Australia. So here, the Australian, like we drill a bit of, we've got oil an oil, in, like a big gas industry, got a smaller oil industry um, that's been around for a while. This is the first big move for oil and there was nothing in the, in the bite at all. So, um, and it's kind of drawn a bit of a line in the sand. You know, obviously the proposal itself, people look at that and go, well, it's so far out, there's going to be inherent danger with it. Um, And the history, I can go through the history of that lease, the one they want to drill, was previously with BP. 
and that's where it opened up with BP and they gave BP the lease less than a year after the Deepwater Horizon. So this thing's been poisoned from the start. So it came with that baggage and people have got, and now it's been inherited by Equinor um, when BP pulled out. So it's the same lease that the BP had. Crew just don't want it. Well, how does that, does the government recognize it as a revenue opportunity and then puts out, says, hey, put in your bids for this? Or does Equinor or BP approach the government and say, we know there's oil there and we'd like to. Yeah, well, the base of the history of it, the, the leases were dropped in 2011 and were divvied up and sold. And BP was one of those who was Chevron, there was Santos, there's a bunch of them, half a dozen of them. Um, and, and so then they have to go through the process of getting permission to drill. And BP tried, Chevron were thinking about it, and they, they've both, they're both gone now. Uh, BP went, all oh, the oil price dropped. Um, okay. It's super expensive, like to drill out there, it's a long way out, it's, and to meet safety regulations, it's all around what happens, like they, they, they work around a worst case scenario. That's why you see all these fucking spill maps everywhere. Like there's no sense going into this and looking for you know the best case scenario. You've got to think of the worst case and work backwards from there and what could fuck up and and try and eliminate that along the way. The thing with Australia, mate, it's we are a first world country that essentially act like a quarry for the rest of the world, right? We've got there's obviously environmental dangers with this and safety things and people are worried about oil getting loose down there and, and that's one thing. There's a symbolic thing as well that at the moment there's a huge proposal for a, a giant open cut coal mine in Queensland, the Adani mine it's called, um, which would be the biggest open cut coal mine in the Southern Hemisphere. So at a time we've probably just come out of what will be our hottest summer ever okay. here in Australia. Uh, and we've had an absolute scorcher. Um, and they're saying like it's only just finished so they haven't done the numbers but it'll probably be the hottest summer ever. And here we are, and our response to it, Australia, a first world country, a rich first world country, is digging a fucking giant coal mine in Queensland mm -hmm. and digging a hole in the Southern Ocean. Yeah. You know? Right. It's ludicrous. So people see that... It's backwards thinking. It's, oh, it's like, man, we should be leading this stuff. Right. And not, and not just... But, man, we run by, you know, a conservative gov government that worships coal, <laughs> that's in bed with fo the fossil fuel companies, and, and there's a whole heap of stuff channeling into this one issue. And that's all coming to come into play now. So you were saying BP wasn't able to drill because, or they decided not to because the oil prices had dropped. Mm -hmm. So it didn't make sense for them. Equinor has taken over the lease. Yep. And why are they now wanting to move on it? Is there a change in the oil pricing or they just have... Well, they're hugely, you've got to, you know, and this is all these people that have kind of come into this issue now are trying to understand because these guys are seriously 30 years ahead. You know, they think 30 years ahead. You know, they know. They're trying to get the last reserves. Mm -hmm. You know, look where they're drilling. You know, it's How so far, so fucking far out. Yeah. Um, they're trying to get hold of the last reserves and claim it. Just, it's, it's, it's speculative because they're trying to think yeah. of what's going to happen. Right. You know, and they want to get hold of it because if they control supply of it, and then it also, it just keeps the wheels turning and keeps everything greased with oil. And, and it also hinders the development of, of anything renewable. You know, right. that, that's the big war that's happening here right. in Australia right now right. between a renewable industry and, a, and a, you know, something from last century. 
And what is the concern with them drilling out there? Um, well, the concern with everyone immediately is that the oil would get loose, you know. And the thing is, like, I've got every confidence that these guys know what they're doing. You know, they're Norwegians. They've dr- drilled plenty of holes, um, and they're, they're probably really good at it, you know. And in, in all likelihood, it's probably nothing would happen. But the risk of if something did happen is you've seen the modelling. It's a whole coastline goes, Yeah. you know. And so you, you do a risk and reward kind of... Um, Analysis. trade-off on yeah. that it's like well, what are we getting for it Australia doesn't get a lot you know really no our, our track record with giving away our resources is fucking crazy man we give it away we, like we literally like literally last year we ran out of gas and we are the biggest gas exporter in the world really I can work that shit out so how does do you have any idea how that works with the Equinor deal? Like, do they just lease the land and then pay the lease, or do they? Does the government see any benefit from mm. each barrel sold? Yeah, yeah. Oh, there's obviously there's obviously economic benefit, but what they do and the way it's been set up is there's so many concessions given to these guys. There's so many tax breaks right. to get out there, and it's why the whole system has been engineered in their favour. And this is why people are angry. You know, it's. You've got things, you've got royalties, you've got the petroleum resource rent tax, but all of it is offset against exploration. It's fucking, if you drill down into the detail of it, like if, if that thing fucked up out there and it spilled oil, their cleanup is tax deductible. Really? You know? Yeah. There's, and it's, and every concession is given to those guys, you know? Right. And the, the, the real great irony of who's doing this, the Norwegians, is that they have built... The Norwegians have built a sovereign wealth fund, currently about $1.4 trillion, and it's like $250,000 for each Norwegian, man, woman, and child, on the basis of largely of oil, right? Because they've nationalized it. Equinor is two-thirds state-owned. Wow. So the money goes back to the government. It goes into this fund. Um, and here we are, fucking dumb Australia, giving it away to them, right. you know? We've underwriting got, it for them. Underwriting, and we've got this this growing, you know, national debt, and we're a resource-rich company, a country that should just be flying, and we're not. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Yeah, man. that part of it is really amazing. It's I it's the of it's, that part. it's the irony of it. You know, the Norwegians yeah. who've been canny about how they've done it, and they've kept it. You know, they've they've actually take used their resources to build something. We we've had we had a mining boom here in the two thousands, and we squandered the lot. Really, gave it away in middle class welfare and, and all sorts of stuff. Hmm. And you know, now we're in debt. I mean, as we were driving around today, and I was pointing, it was we were commenting about um, how underdeveloped a lot of the land is, and you were saying it's all protected, not only underdeveloped from commercial development, but also just from agricultural development. And it's all protected. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's amazing. It's mm. smart. Like you have all this beautiful land and ocean and space protect it all. If you can then leverage it for either a better lifestyle for the people or for to increase tourism to come and visit and that sort of thing. But to then just give it away to yeah. somebody else with promises of a little bit of a kickback on the back end, you know, but then risk all of it as well does seem a little bit asinine. And this is, this, it's a one-off use. These, you know, mining, it's a one-off use. You get it. You've got this stuff in the ground. You've got you know, all this stuff. You get to use it once. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and yeah. then, then it's gone. Right. So you, you, if you're going to do it, you leverage it properly right. and build something. And then, yeah, there's all sorts of issues going forward about using, you know, we should be using that to work out. Because last time I checked, they're not making any more oil. Right. Yeah. We, we ch- if we're chasing it that far fucking out into the Southern Ocean, it's telling us, yeah. like, we should be looking at what's next. Yeah. There's a whole heap of shit feeding into this. So my, my impression just from kind of seeing social media <laughs> which is where we all get our information that way exactly. nowadays um my understanding of it was more that we're concerned with the potential disaster yeah you know like if something goes like it's a very rugged coastline and if the rig has an issue and oil spills it's going to take up to 160 days to cap the spill and it's going to spill from point a mm. to point z and it's going to ruin all this coastline not only for the surf spots yeah but obviously for true ecological. that's that's the the immediate right. threat you know and that but that is what has brought kind of most crew to it yeah. is the prospect you know this could there's a, as slim as the chance might be that this thing could happen yeah you know and that's what's brought people to it and i think once you actually get people to it though then they start seeing other levels of concern about it and those other levels are a lot more practical to me mm. like the concern about it um having an oil spill i don't know if they could even quantify what the percentage or the ratio would be for that you know yeah, is it yeah, they can't put a number one percent or and then if you know i i could rationalize doing the drilling potentially if it was an infinitesimal uh, reality, yeah. But those other things are actually a lot more concerning. And mm. like you said, if they're systematic, if it's kind of like Australia as a government has made those right. mistakes in the past, it might be high time to learn from it. Yeah, it's a it's a bit of a line in the sand. Yeah, you know that makes. And okay, if, that makes the thing sense. is, there's all sorts of development going on everywhere. Like yeah. Ningaloo got, you know, there was a development over yeah. there a few years ago, and there's all it, and they're all it's all happening, right? And mm. we're not we're not demonizing. Like the, the interesting thing about this, there's been a lot of support for it, but obviously it's brought out a lot of people who go, well, you know, the whole place runs on oil and gas. If you guys don't like it, just don't drive. Right. You know, don't ride a surfboard. Yeah. You know, and it's fair enough. It's like, but it's that's not fair it's enough. A fucking, it's the fucking world we live in, though. It's like, but if. It's the stupidest argument. Yeah, I know. If you roll that out, seriously, just step aside because there's people trying to build a, a future that actually works. Right. You know, and if that's the best you got, um, leave it to leave it to other crew to, to argue. I mean, the reality is we all do drive cars and ride on airplanes and stuff like that. And um, But there are better renewable options available for us all nowadays, and it'd be wiser to invest in those sort of things, especially as a government. Oh, man, it's all it's all sitting there. Yeah. You know, and it's, like I said, Australia is a rich first world country. We should be leading, mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Not, not developing. Right. You know, we've got these dinosaurs running the place, man. There's a huge kind of, like, they're talking about putting two new coal-fired power stations in that are Chinese-owned. It's, yeah. And all this is going to come to a head. We've got an election in a couple of months. Okay. So there's going to be all sorts of shit fights going down on all different fronts. I'm going to let you um, respond to a internet commenter. E-Wing fighter pilot. (laughs) (laughs) You know Uh, E-Wing? Yeah, I think I've seen him. Yeah. I have too. Uh, E-Wing fighter pilot's a pretty prolific commenter on the boards. But anyways, he he says, might might want to check... uh, might want to fact check on the Equinor info before jumping on the bandwagon. Wells have been drilled in the GAB in the past with no issue, obviously. Yep. Uh, and the 160-day timeline to cap the well is so incredibly unlikely, almost un- as unlikely as an actual spill. Yep. 
Okay, yeah, the, the bite's been drilled before. Um, for I think there's 13, they've had 13 goes at it. If you look at the map, they're, they're way in closer. This, where this field is, is two or three times further out. Um, so they're nowhere near the depth. And the thing with, the, generally the genesis of an oil spill, I think it's 80% of them happen at the exploration phase. Oh, okay. But, but the thing, but what you need for, for an oil spill to happen is oil. So you can drill 13 holes, but if they don't hit oil, you don't have an oil spill anyway. So it's, they've had a go, but they're in a lot closer. Like this, the last one was a Woodside one, Woodside Petroleum, I think. But these ones are way further out. Um, and further out means greater risk. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, it's kind of frontier drilling. So, and I, and I had a look around. I haven't been able to find where Equinor's deepest well is at the moment, but I've got a feeling this would be it. Um, this one out here, the Stromlo one, they're talking about. So, okay, yeah. Um, why did you decide to take up the cars? Uh, I got so disclosure here. I do. I work for Patagonia. Mm -hmm. um, probably about three and a half, four years ago, um, we had a look at this. This is when BP were floating around down there. Um, we looked at the issue because, of course, the way Patagonia works is is they they through their grants program put money to to grassroots um, environmental groups around the world, really small ones. There was a really small group at that stage opposing the BP uh, proposal, so we started granting them money. We've obviously we've got crew down there as well. We've got surfers. Heath Josky lives down there at Streaky Bay. Um, We've got a bunch of friends down there as well. We've done time on that coast. Um, we took an interest and started doing, and we started doing, you know, doing trips down there, hanging out there. And we, when you actually, if you've been down there, I was explaining to you before, man, it's, it's so empty. It is so empty. Like we did three days, 500 Ks, three days, we passed 11 cars. Yeah. You know, there's these tiny little fishing towns down there. Um, and they were the ones standing up against bp yeah you know who are worth i don't know name your trillions right. it's like so that it was the ultimate david and goliath kind of deal and we kind of said you know um for what we could do we will chip in um you know kind of work with you guys try and give it some net this thing has gone nowhere you know no one knew about this thing it's been that this thing's been bubbling along for three or four years people don't know about it on the east coast right you know which was so fucking amazing when you know woke up the other day and and suddenly everyone did yeah literally literally overnight well you do work for patagonia but to be honest um the tip of the spear is you and your instagram account it isn't patagonia's channels you know what i mean <laughs> you see how shit my instagram account is <laughs> but it's you know that's true right? yeah okay. it's like i mean i got the shock of my fucking life i how many i put this thing up like it wasn't even because it was a green piece model of, right. of the leaked Equinor that spill modeling. Infograph. Yeah, basically it, was, it showed everywhere oil could be according to Equinor's own plan. So Equinor was saying oil could be in anywhere in these places. And it had already been out for a month. And I, and I was literally, went, I was about to go for a surf, I chucked it up and went for a surf and I came back, it had fucking 8,000 likes. I, I immediately thought, whoa, hang on, because my previous record was 2,000 with a photo my daughter had taken with Kelly Slater. 
<laughs> and suddenly this thing is like eight Kelly thousand. got the likes. Yeah, Kelly got the <laughs> likes. Suddenly this thing's on eight, and it had only been up for like an hour and a half. Which is more followers than you probably had at the time, right? And I just went, oh, oh, hang on. And then everyone was reposting it. And, right. it, and it's just like the, the fickle fic, uh, finger of the, the Instagram algorithm gods. It just came down and just said, you know, that post. Right. And I don't even know how that happened. Right. And and then it went, everyone grabbed a hold of it and threw it in. It went, it went kind of through all the surf crew, and, and it, it became a kind of thing. Um, but I mean, what was your, was your information, I would imagine once it becomes that significant, you might've thrown it up there kind of haphazardly, not haphazardly, but like, Hey, this is a good cause to get behind. But now that you are the tip of the spear, there's a real responsibility to actually have all the information and to be able to answer my questions and that sort of stuff. It's heavy. But were you up to date on all that stuff? Was it already like a driving Mm. passion or have you had to kind of dig in? Oh, I've had, I've had to dig in. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, but we, as I said, we've been doing it for three years. So we knew... As part of Patagonia. As, yeah. yeah. So we, we, and we've been down there, which is the key thing, because those guys are way more invested in it down there than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and they've kind of, you know, through that process, through the osmosis of being down there and hanging with them, we've kind of, we've got a feel for it. But um, but this, this is the whole thing with it, is that, it, like, they've dropped this environment plan. It's designed, no one's, it's designed that no one can get it. What do you it's, mean? It's, Who's dropped an environment plan? Oh, uh, Equinor. Okay. So this is what's this is what's fed into it as well, is because Equinor dropped their environment plan to the the, the industry regulator. Here. Okay. And this all happened around the same time that I dropped this post. So it wasn't really just the post; it was the fact that this thing dropped, and suddenly there was a sense of urgency because you've got you've got thirty days for the public to comment on it. Oh. Yeah. Okay. That's so right. that's and that's. Right. that's right. And this feeds into it. things like fucking fifteen hundred pages long, and it's just like it's just indiscernible fucking of course undigestible science, and you're not meant to get it, right. you know? Yeah, it's intentionally. Yeah, well, well, it's was you know, but in they also to Equinor's credit, they made it public. Now this is the other thing, and this is the the thing that's worked a bit for us is that Equinor being state owned are accountable to the Norwegian people. You know, they're two thirds state owned. So the Norwegian people own them. So if the Norwegian people think this is a fucking shit idea, yeah. um, they can, you know, they're in charge of, of pulling the strings on these guys. So it's not BP, it's not shareholders, and it's not just these faceless goons that, that are just, you know. Right. So, so that's given us a bit of a, and, and you really don't like to have to take these guys down because they've actually tried to do the process the right way. But at the end of the day, we just don't want it. Well, the other thing is the Norwegian people, they might um, be rational in regard to like the oil spill and they don't want that sort of thing to happen. But if that's such an infinitesimal possibility, Mm. they actually benefit from all the stuff that actually is going to not benefit you guys. Like all of the government benefit and economic benefit and all that sort of stuff, they're going to benefit from. So I could see them if they actually understood all the details that you're talking about. Mm. They might still vote for it. Yeah, totally. And there's probably there'll be a part of the Norwegian population that just that are just cheering it on, go and go for it. Yeah, but because it's insane. not an economic or it's not an environmental concern for them. No, it's no, an economic. If, if their their crew are saying it's safe, which you know, it, it, it in all likelihoods, be. it probably yeah, is. Right. You know, but the one really heartening thing with all of this is that Norwegian surf crew have backed us. Oh, really? All the way. Yeah. You know, they've been straight on because they've fought these guys to keep them out of the north 
in out of Lofton up north really? like you're, you you see those faint like the shots the snow covered totally with the right hand at one end left at the other that's lofted up the north and that's all been locked up so and that and that's been fought for and saved and a lot of the guys who've done that are now backing us right here with this fascinating yeah which is because the, the other reason is that this is a bit dodgy is the back at home well equinor a year and a half ago were called stat oil mm-hmm. which is state oil um, and they rebranded as this clean green because oil is because oil name. yeah and um, and here they are on the other which is great at home in Norway all of that happens in Norway we don't see any of that we just see a, a hole in the southern ocean so and I'm sure any I don't know their business but I would think that any smart business would have um, business development aspects in the company that are looking at green options and investing in green options and all that sort of stuff but the bulk of their money is coming from yeah, well, the, the, rea- and true. the reality of the world today, it still runs on oil. Yeah, exactly. The money's made on oil. Exactly. So they're still going to keep that ticking along. Um, but we'd rather it doesn't tick along here. So as that Instagram post has blown up, you've become the, the tip of the spear for this thing. What <laughs> has happened for you in the last couple of weeks? I mean, I would imagine the Australian government probably is aware of this campaign. I would imagine Equinor is now aware of the campaign against them. Have important people been reaching out to I, you? I don't think I'm very popular in Norway. I mean, I'm no. waiting to be kidnapped by a Norwegian <laughs> black ops squad at the moment. But the funny thing was, is that when I did that original post, I put at the bottom, I said, well, and I, and like, I, I thought this thing was going to get like 50 people just going, you know, could I put it, I put it at the bottom. I said, Oh, if you want to head over to Equinor and let them know what you think, go for it. Well, when I came back and it had 8,000 and I I actually went over to Equinor's page and looked at it and the, the current post was, was like an offshore wind farm that they, they were doing and had like 10 comments on it. And so I put this post up, said, go on, you know, if you, if you don't like it, go on, you know, let Equinor know. I came back and I looked at mine. It was on 8,000. Then I thought, I'm just going to look at Equinor. It had like 5,000 comments. Wow. Light, like fucking lighting Equinor up. And this is all, I, I could just imagine the scene in, in Oslo, in Equinor HQ. Because this was, this was Aussie Bogan, like category five. Like all this <laughs> stuff, mate, they were just giving it to these guys. And it ended up, I think it's currently about 14 or 15,000 comments on that, Crazy. on that last post. And all of them just tearing him down. Um, so have, who have you heard from? Have you been contacted by important people? And uh, I've been I've been blocked by I, my, my other place down in Torquay is because Torquay is obviously in the way of this oil spill, Bell's Beach, the whole deal. Um, the local member down there has blocked me. Um, she doesn't like me very much. Um, I don't think the Norwegians like me very much. Uh, but it hasn't surprisingly. It still hasn't broken. Is a huge national story. It's a, it has in parts, um, but it's got, you know, this is a week in, and I think um, it's still got some, it's still got a long way to run. Yeah. Yeah. I It'll get political. It needs to get political first uh, and feed into this next election here in Australia will all be done. Well, it, the, it'll be back to an election on like energy will be a huge thing because you've got these, di- the liberal di- liberals will get kicked out, like they're gone. And these are guys who, you know, the Prime Minister of Australia walked into fucking Parliament <clears throat> carrying a lump of coal going and holding it up and said, whoa, whoa, we're afraid of this. Who's afraid of this? This is symbolic. And it's just, this is the guy running the country. Yeah. So, 
Um, so, it, it's got some, yeah, it's got some more to run. So what is, first of all, the call to action for listeners? And then number two, um, the timeline for us to see this whole thing kind of get decided. Yep. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it's currently before the industry regulator <clears throat> and what's happened with that, well, that's a process where the, the industry body looks at the safety of any proposed so they put their plan in go this is what we're planning to do these guys look at it and decide whether it's safe or not okay there's a small window in that for public comment that's not designed for public comment it's supposed to be supposed to be between the the oil company and the regulator okay there's a small window in it you got to look really hard on the page yeah. for public comment we've driven uh, we've driven crew all to that so we're currently at it's around 18,000 18, people comments people have have actually taken the time and it's impenetrable site like the the documents impenetrable you're not designed to but we just all these people have gone over we've encouraged them to at least look at it and try and you know get a feel for it but just put that comment in like the word the thing they did not want is a shitload of people going in and commenting on this right which they have you know the process is designed to be between the regulator and the oil company. People aren't supposed to be, you know, the yep. public aren't supposed to be involved in this. Shitloads of people have. So that's stage one. Stage two, it'll get, you know, I honestly believe, I reckon these guys are going to do it. I reckon they're going to green light it. Green light the oil? Yep. I reckon they'll, they'll say it's safe to go, at which stage, you know, I'd like to think otherwise, but I think in my head, I think that's probably the way they'll go. Um, and if that happens, then all hell will break loose. When you're hiring for a small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role, and there's no faster or effective way than through LinkedIn Jobs. Your time and capital are precious, and there is a powerful resource that can help you focus on what you're good at and integrate people into your team seamlessly to help grow your business. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team efficiently and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. Everyone is already on LinkedIn with their resumes and references, and now LinkedIn has designed a hiring platform to connect you with candidates specifically qualified for the job that you post about. More than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set to help us all advance our position. 2.5 million businesses already use LinkedIn for hiring, and 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. It's that fast, easy to use, and effective. LinkedIn Jobs can help you write job descriptions, filter the right person to you, and give you the tools to help you interview them like a pro. LinkedInjobs.com surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. That's linkedinjobs.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I really do believe that the education for the general public needs to be about how the systematic problems that you told me about. Because if the fight is really about the environmental concerns with a spill, I think the regulators can pretty easily squash those. I think yeah. the regulators can just be like, look, it's not you, idiot public. You don't know. Exactly. You don't have the science. Yeah. You don't have the information. Mm. And that's not a concern. So we're going to mm. green light it. Yep. 
But if the general public and leaving the comments, those 18,000 comments, if they're more in the regard of, you know, this is uh, undercutting our entire system and our yeah. economy and our government, then yeah. that would be something worth listening to. Yeah. So right now it's at the point where it's, whether it's safe or not. That's the question. Yeah. Okay. So it's, and it's it, until March 20, that's what everyone's debating. Got it. Yeah. You know, whether it's safe or not. And like the public, Joe Public, you know, we're not supposed to know whether it's safe or not. It's between them and the oil companies, but that's that's the reason why we're sitting here angry. Because the whole mate, the whole fucking things between that, yeah. the, the feds and the oil companies. Yeah, this you can't. They're so far up each other's ass. You can't tell where one stops and the other starts. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a system that's been just entrenched for years and years and years. And I and this you know unless you actually come to a point where you just go well, it's got to fucking break somewhere. And we've there's got to be some more accountability around this. And there's got to be some more questions asked about where we're actually fucking going with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you don't, like I said, man, if you don't start with this, when do you start? That's it. Just that's the line in the sand. Line in the sand. Yeah. Um, another detail that's been interesting to me about this is all the pro surfers who have gotten behind it. And I'm the cynic in me is curious to know how much information any of those people even have. It's so easy to grab that infographic, repost it, just for likes, just to virtue signal to everybody else that you're a good human being. I don't know. What, do you, what are your thoughts on mm, that? Yeah. Like, I'm almost apprehensive it's, to even talk about this issue on the podcast because I don't want to just be a guy jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, You know yeah. what I mean? Yep. Well, it's a lazy way to come into an argument. If that if that's all you've got to to come in against your opposition, so your virtue is... Or just argue the argue the issue. Well, don't, don't absolutely. Play, play the ball, not the man, you know? It's like the... But, but like, I actually... A few of us, or me, myself and, and Dave Rastovich and a few of the crew who have been working on this pulled together an open letter with that crew. Um, there's like 28 names and it's pretty much everyone. In, in terms, terms of professional service. Professional service, like the highest profile names we could get. Right. And they all said, you know. So and you what, informed them about what the real concerns are? Yeah, we, gave, like, we backgrounded them Got on it. kind of where it's at. And, okay. Um, but their understanding is probably on par with where most of the public's understanding is with it and because right now it's not designed to be understood you got to you got to understand it's not designed to be understood (laughs) right it's between them and the oil it's and it's and it's really hard but they understand that the like the rest of us probably feel that it's it's come time to to at least to at least have this conversation mate and you can argue one way or the other i don't care but it's like mate it's a conversation we've got to have at some point yeah so yeah we're having it now. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, an underlying theme. So I started doing the podcast in 2013. As I've con- as uh, the podcast medium has grown, Instagram also has been growing at that mm. same time. Yeah. And so Instagram has been like this underlying theme through every conversation we've yeah. had. Where I'll interview a board builder, and it's kind of like their business was built via Instagram. Yeah. You know, it's been it's- really interesting. Um, I hate to even give Instagram more value or more talking time than I need to, but it's super relevant. And it's interesting just that this whole thing was based on that. Dude, it's like this, like a cover shot, cover shot of the new surfing world magazine. So basically it's a a photo special. And I wrote literally two days before I put that post up, I wrote a full polemic tearing down Instagram about how it had completely fucked up the world of surf photography. Really? How's that? And, that then, is, and then it no comes joke, to no save joke. you. Two, two days later, it's, it comes to save me on another front. It's just like, 
It's unbelievable, huh? Like, and, and, and of all people, I'm glad they had. I'm glad Instagram didn't see that before. Before right. I put my post up, I would have been shut down. Well, you know, with all things or with all the people I've loved the mm. most in my life, you feel conflicted about them. Sometimes mm. you hate them intensely, <laughs> and sometimes you love them intensely. Totally. And that's kind of how Instagram is. Fully. You know yeah. what I mean? It yeah. is. The plight, it zaps more of my time, gives mm. me FOMO and anxiety and all that. And yet every day I wake up and that's the first thing I grab yeah. to make love with, you know, and scroll <laughs> and like see what everybody else is up to. Yeah, it's, I don't know, it's a, it's a messed up world, huh? I don't Seriously. know, is it? I don't know. What, yeah. uh, kind of a side note, mm. uh, why is uh, uh, Patrick Bateman your profile photo on I, Instagram? Yeah, yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> I um, I can't remember putting story? that up. I can I still kind of remember putting that up. But I love that movie, and I love it. Like I love all of Brad Easton shit. Yeah. I li- liked his podcast. I can't believe he still doesn't do it. He does. He does. Yes. Really? Yeah. I tried refreshing it the other day, and it didn't go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It he got, got stuck on. Oh, has he gone somewhere else? Has he? He went. He went on to Patreon. So you have oh. to pay a buck fifty an episode. Mate, we're behind here in Australia, mate. So. Yeah, you are. Apparently, <laughs> you're right. Though he did not do a good job. Um, he's never done a good job technically and like mm. explaining what what platform things are yeah. on yeah the first one was pretty clunky and it. but but they were amazing they were they were good chats do you so you're just a Brad easton fan did you read the book i mean American yeah Science? oh okay absolutely yeah, yeah. yep i've read, read all his shit yeah i like i like the film as well mm. um the book is so graphic though i mean oh yeah it's, it's outrageously yeah. graphic it's full on but um, um I'll but say yeah, yeah i kind of I, like i kind of remember like you when you just brought that up then i'm going Going, oh yeah right Chris, well, the Christian Bale was actually my fucking it endeared me yeah. to you when I found I don't know why I when or why I started following you on Instagram but when I saw your account that Patrick Bateman was the profile photo I'm like sweet I can I think I it was like follow you know what I think it was I'm looking thinking back it's the phone it's the 1995 mobile yeah. and I thought okay, okay there's some irony here I'm in, on, on Instagram with this gigantic motherfucking mobile phone yeah you know it's classic so I love the uh, chapters of the book dedicated to like music reviews of the Huey Lewis album <laughs> the latest Huey Lewis oh, album or whatever yeah. I heard him it's... interviewed I heard him interviewing um, I think it was a a book editor in the last month or two and he Brett said his editor wanted to delete all of that stuff out of the book because mm. he de- dedicates entire chapters towards music reviews yeah. on yeah. these albums and his editor was just like what are you doing this is so stupid imagine being Brett Easton Ellis's editor and oh, have- I know I know that's a tough gig there you know what's funny too not to go off on a Brett Easton Ellis tangent but um, he's like a film critic right mm. he's like this yeah. hyper into films and a real good critic. He's written for a bunch of magazines in the past, but in his podcast now, he dedicates 30 minutes to reviewing something. Yeah. And uh, he's made a couple of films and he's written a few scripts. They're terrible. <laughs> They're so bad. He's such you a can... good critic, oh. but his writing, his actually screenwriting is awful. you got to know your medium, huh? It's funny how like some creative, most creatives only work in one medium. I know it's a big yeah. thing today where it's, where it's like, you know, you everyone this you know produce that they produce and write and do this but it's but it's a it's not common and to be really really good at one thing generally precludes you from being really really good at others it's a fascinating and, point and the and it's yeah, it's just funny but i loved he's like because he do like his podcast opened 
and a lot of it was based around film it was like basically mm-hmm. a film review just a, just a huge rambling was. monologue and it yeah. was and it was you know re- really fucking great you dive into it but it, yeah, the funny his, thing his is, films suck <laughs> totally completely uh, the funny thing is you'll hear a lot of in, uh, podcasts where there is an introduction and then it goes into the interview mm. his introductions are 45 minutes yeah. of a rambling thing and then the interview might be an hour but even in the interview his questions he mm. gives like these meandering five minute <laughs> questions that are more about him than they are about his subject so you get through two hours and you got a sum total of about four minutes of the game exactly exactly yeah. i get to i've gotten to the point where i just like and i actually prefer the intro i'll just yeah. listen to the intro and then the interview i'll get five minutes in and i'll be like oh that guy's lame <laughs> delete it um totally at, good. at any rate it's a good segue i do want to ask you about the war on instagram and the mm-hmm. article that you wrote about that mm-hmm. because i think about this with surf photography all yep. the time and i haven't seen that issue yet um what is your what is your premise for the piece and what what are your thoughts oh on that? mate i've because i've worked in magazines for 20 years basically and i've heard every whinge from every surf photographer on every front you could ever imagine, even when they were flying and earning. But mate, I feel sorry for those guys. Seriously, yep. Why? Um, most of them are life lifers. They've done it. That's all they've done, you know. And there's a bunch of them still rusted on, hanging there, doing it now. There's n- absolutely no financial model to it. You know, it's a, it's really, but the. The mechanism is still churning, and it, all that stuff. And like I said in the in the piece, I said the worst, the, the very worst nightmare that these guys could ever have was that everyone became a surf photographer, mm-hmm. and that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And here it is: their worst nightmares come true, and the the value of all their stuff just plummeted. Well, and, the value plummeted because everybody's a surf photographer. But then, in addition to yeah. that, is there's no venue to yeah, pay and, for your work. And at the same time, yeah, at the same time, the the, the Media all collapsed. Exactly. So, you know, you're you're in a cul-de-sac for uh, okay your career. But Let in, me play in saying that, in saying that, it's you know the guys that are still there, and the, and the guys that are actually like the guy on the cover there, Leroy Bellet. Like, there's a, if you're smart about it and you find a way in, you find an angle, um, and it's created this whole new generation of crew that that are savvy and can navigate that kind of. Well, that, the angle is a brand. Right, yeah. you need to partner with a brand or two, mm. and you'd be on you're on staff with them. Isn't mm. isn't that it, or is there a different angle? Well, even that, man, that's that's tenuous, really. In the in the yeah. modern day, like you man, you probably count on one hand the crew that that can still do it. You know, that can actually take actually are on a decent retainer to go and shoot this stuff. And so, what's the angle then? That the who is it, Leroy? Leroy Bellet. Bellet. Yep, he's a young young guy from down the south coast of okay. New South Wales here. And he, like he, he got, freely admits he like he took the Laurent Pujol thing, and went you know went to another level and just took it onto reefs, you know, okay. which he's got a lot of down there, on the south coast, and just started shooting this amazing kind of follow kind of stuff, and that became his thing, and he broke. But what is the revenue model that he's been successful with? Is he partnered with a brand or is he just selling? I think he does some stuff with Red Bull. Yep. Okay. Um, and you know the Red Bull cash cow is still there, um, yep. and it's still chugging along. Yep, I, I can't work out how, but it does. Um, uh, because they sell energy drinks that cost a nickel to make for five bucks. Do you, do you drink them, Dave? No, but you know people do. I know somewhere in the world. I, I can't I, work out. I haven't been to the place in the world where they, it all actually happens. But I think everywhere. I mean, I, I 
don't think I've had one sip of Red Bull in my entire <laughs> life. And I've certainly never paid for one. The only caveat I'm thinking is yeah. I've been at parties where I think they were mixing it yeah. with vodka, vodka or something. Yeah. So maybe I've had it in that form, but, but honestly, I don't think I have. Yeah, you get a leave pass with a Red Bull and vodka. But pretty much apart from that, yeah. it's... And I've never paid mm. for one. But that yeah. is the model. I mean, that is... Yeah. They have a media company and all that empire, but it's really mm. just funded by selling mm. something for five bucks that they cost less than a nickel to make, I would Yeah, imagine. totally. So let's discuss this image real quick. It's Michel Barraz at Chopu. And is he just swimming in that photo or did he actually take off on the board? No, he's on a board behind him. Are you kidding? Yeah. So did he, he get towed so in? So they do a double... They put them both on the same rope. Got it. With two, um, yeah, two handles. And throw them both in, and yeah, he's probably. I mean, you actually see it from the other angle, from the channel back in. It's probably probably five meters behind okay. him. Yeah. So and Leroy's behind him. He looks lower, almost at water level, and he's yeah. shooting the photo. They're fully, fully barreled. He's shooting the photo up at Michelle, and it's backlit, so it's real mm. dark in the foreground. Yep. Obviously, you've got the mountains in the background. Um, it's insane. I've never seen a shot like it. It's a pretty crazy shot, Kelly. Kelly, po it leaked out, like it was taken about a year ago, and it leaked out, and um, Kelly put it up and said it's the best shot he's ever seen, hmm. um, and then it all got pulled down. But did Kelly delete it? Uh, I think he did, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so let's get into that, though, the war on Instagram thing. I'm going to play devil's advocate. Mm -hmm. You have to kind of recognize oh, yeah. when the market's shifting, where things are going, and there's great examples of surf photographers mm -hmm. in the last decade who recognized those things and started working in product shooting yeah and fashion and the whole world <laughs> thinks surfing is sexy so if all those fashion editors photo editors they look at us and they go shoot we'd love to hire you and pay you 10k a day mm. to just come shoot something that's controllably lit and you know you know the fallback career actually here in australia is what? for the surf photographers weddings perfect yeah so you work Saturdays and Sundays. <laughs> you got the room all week, all week off, and you make it compared to what surf photography yeah. pays. You make a killing. Yeah, you know? it's it's funny. It's like, I actually saw you put up the uh, Chris Van Lennep shot. Yeah, before yesterday. Like man, when when I How started, good that? when I started, Van Lennep was god for in surf photography. He was like, he was it. Mm -hmm. You know not worthy. Yeah, and it's funny the trend. Like, but then like that, and this is why because I'm obviously a emotionally invested a lot of these guys are my friends have been friends for a long time and I've, I've had to listen to them for a long time and seen their you know work their ass off and to get these shots and and just because the the world changes you know they're suddenly stuck here but you know, you know who I ran into in Ventura who's that the other day because I'm I'm actually there in Ventura with Patagonia a little bit and I'm driving down the main street and I'm driving past and in this little back block and I'm looking into the the post office there I looked in I stopped for a sale, I was stuck in traffic. I stopped and looked at this guy gone, it's fucking Scott Eichner. Really? No way. And I yelled out and it was and come over. I hadn't seen him in probably seven or eight years. And Scott Eichner was, and he probably still, probably the greatest surf photographer I've really ever encountered. Really? If, if, if you measure it by willingness to fucking swim out and put yourself in, in danger mm -hmm. to get the shot, he was, he was unbelievable yeah yeah that's a good way to measure it by the way yeah totally yeah if you put your put your neck on the line yeah and well and he's gone he's and he's gone from surf photography so what's he altogether not exactly sure um <laughs> maybe weddings <laughs> <laughs> ventura san barbara's a good destination <laughs> for weddings. yeah 
But um, it's it's funny, but but a guy that was that good in that profession, and he basically got squeezed out because yeah. So that's the financial. Never want to, of course. So that's the one thing you'd never want to see is mm. somebody with kind of this world class talent mm. get squeezed out for reasons that have nothing to do with their talent. You know yeah. what I mean? Like yeah. that is a shame. Um, and I feel like even at the height of surf photography's pay scale, they were still underpaid. Yeah. Like the amount of work involved and sitting on the beach in the sun. And by the way, a lot of those people are surfers. The reason they got into it is because they're surfers. So to sit on the beach when the waves are pumping, <laughs> shooting surfing is kind of the worst thing in the world. That's why they're all mad, mate. <laughs> totally. <laughs> it drives them nuts. And they totally. all lose it. Over time, they all lose it as a result. Because most of them are really good surfers. Exactly. Yeah. So, and equipment is wildly expensive. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of downsides to that job, even when it was at its best. So I completely understand the plight, but I also think that there are opportunities to adapt and improvise and to elevate the yeah. game. The the other, the problem I have with Instagram more than the financial model kind of getting ruined is that I don't think it's the best viewing apparatus for their work. Yes. That's the problem for me. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I and that that's the point I argued in this thing. How's your beer going, by the way? Ready for another? Yeah. You got one okay. handy? Yeah, I do. Okay, cool. Um, oh, you got the... I didn't even see that. Yeah. The, um, but that was the argument. It's At the end of the thing, I said, basically, it's not Instagram's fault. It's our fault. For accepting that for, as the viewing platform. For accepting that as how we should see surf photography. Completely. You know, we're in complete control of how we see it. And I equated it to... Uh, I, we ran a photo in there of a, a, it ran in, I could get it over there. It's in an old surfing world photo annual from like 1981 of Mark Richards that as a kid I looked at and I spent hours looking at that thing, you know. Would like I know hours. the image if you described it? It was, I could, it won't make grab good radio, but I could no, go no, and grab I'll it. No, I'll pause it. Yeah. All right, we've got the image. Danny's. So it's like, a, you look at it now, it's a pretty nondescript image. It's like a, a late afternoon winky pop there's no sun on it but double it is overhead though but it's double Pumping. overhead and it is mark richards on a fucking pink board and he's just lighting that thing up he's basically he's doing a big front side carve wingspan fully extended the gull has got the uh, gull has got the wings out yeah at, at 12 and so 6 you stared at this for yeah hours. as a kid man i just lost my shit i just looked at it for hours and trying to work out kind of like how he was doing it where it was at because there was mystery back then. Yeah. There's no mystery in anything today. So, so I looked at it and I, and that's my that was my opening argument with this is that um, is it, is it man? How long do you spend on a, like when you're thumbing through even the greatest photos today? What do you got? Ten One, seconds? No. One second, dude. <laughs> Two seconds at the most. And we're in control of that, man. We can we can control how long. We sit there and appreciate it and look at it. And well, and that was... And, and the, the other issue, though, is it's, what, two and a half by two and a half inches, depending on which phone model you have. So it's not, even if you spend 10 seconds staring at it, it's just not the right apparatus to be looking at the image on. And I think that's really where the concern for me is... Okay, okay let me actually go beyond that. The magazine is the better platform for those things. For the but, appreciation of the art. Totally. Mm. For surf photography. However, I think that there's something more than just the size of it and it being tangible and in your hands. I think that a lot of it has to do with intention. Mm-hmm. So 
the amount of hours and labor spent designing the magazine, putting mm. the magazine together, yeah. with the layout, with the printing, mm. with the expense, when that thing shows up at my house and I have it, I actually know that intuitively and I'm now invested in the magazine itself. And so when I do open it up, I'm gonna dedicate more time to it. It's now, it's not just in the ether. It's kind of like all this time and resource that I know dozens of people have gotten behind, trees have been felled for it, all that yep. sort of stuff. I'm gonna pay respect to that. And I don't do that <clears throat> intentionally. Hmm. It's just kind of uh, intuitive, you know? And totally. so I spend more time on the sofa or the bathroom thumbing through it and really giving my own energy to it. Mm. I think that is something that isn't always discussed. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a mechanism it's, and it's the nature of the mechanism that basically with Instagram, you're getting all of surfing. All of surfing is channeling through this thing that you can you can scroll through as quick as you like. Yeah. You know, you find, you see everything, everything that's going on and you get it all, but you'll get it as shallow as fuck. Whereas, point. whereas if you've got something that's rendered down that like you said people have actually thought about and curated and the best bits of it and to actually stop you and make you think about what is going on so you're you're going you're getting thin and deep right as opposed to this shallow just just scroll through i'm just getting and it's like you know i know i sound old by just whinging about this shit but it's it's the way of the world and the the man the thing about this what i said to leroy when i saw this photo I said, man, I've just, like, you'd lost me for hours in that thing. Yeah. It's like the, <clears throat> and occasionally you'll come across a shot that'll do that. Mm-hmm. And that's what, you know, that's what that photo did. Um, that is so emblematic. What you just said about Instagram, thin and deep, or thin mm-hmm. and broad versus yeah, deep. shallow. Is, uh, it's emblematic of where we're at as a society. Like, <laughs> it's kind of like, I don't want you curating my experience. I'm going to curate my own because I'm the boss of my life. Yeah. And I'm not going to go deep. I'm going to be superficial. And I'm just going to... That's enough for me because I'm the boss and I'm important and all yeah. that. You know? Yeah. It's so silly. And we just become slaves to it. It's like... Really and, it just, and it range and it recalibrates and re-engineers all your thinking yeah. to where you you actually start thinking, you know, shallow and, and just... And, move, and shallow and quick. Yeah. And you move through stuff and you fragment your day into tiny little things and... Yeah. And you don't ha- you don't do meaningful time with anything, right? Um, you now have a million surf images that are as good of quality as anything we had, better oh, quality man. than anything we had, and they have zero impact. Yeah, look at that MR photo now. Like you looked it's at blurry. it, now, it's a piece of shit. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's totally. Like, it's it's like, blurry. It's poorly lit. Man, it, I'd be straight past that thing in the gram in a heartbeat. <laughs> like it wouldn't last five seconds. But but back then it was like it stopped you, and then it's the quality. Like and you. It's, the quality of everything yeah. is amazing, yeah. but it's just through the roof. Too much of it, yeah. just too it's much all white noise at this. And point. you've got to you've got to work out where your boundaries are and and how much of it you want to digest because it it kills the experience if you try and do too much. Um, kind of a incidental incidentally, Mark Richards' Instagram is pretty amazing. Oh, how good is it? It's so he loves good. it, and I it's wrote that so in there as well. I've got the great irony of this is that Emma's a huge Graham fan. He. Like he'd be walking on the beach at Merriweather and he's he got all sunset, bang, straight up. Well, what's great about it is Instagram should just be what we're talking about where it's this river of information flowing by, mm. but he treats it differently. He writes four paragraphs and gives some crazy stories. <laughs> and I actually spend a minute reading every word that he said and I think, wow, that's enriched my life. That's awesome. Yeah, and you know, the best bit about every one of those stories, he goes, he goes, oh, my kids keep telling me I write too long. And then... 
and then then it just scrolls down for about another meter <laughs> the story which his kids are right except uh, he's defied it he's defied the logic yeah, of instagram totally. and it's better yeah as a result yeah and he's mr man yes yeah. what are you gonna do he can't do anything wrong okay so really all of that instagram kind of discussion was a segue for me to ask you about your role in surf media obviously i mean that that print thing is absolutely constricting and contracting and has been for a long time and that's the world that you come from um not only in surf photography but for you specifically with writing Mm. and you said as a creative really you can only do one thing well (laughs) and if your thing is writing how do you feel about that thing constricting in your own way now we're sitting currently in the surfing world office we are it's, wedged. It's smaller than the room that I'm staying in it's, tonight. It's a closet. <laughs> and there's two of us working in it. <laughs> it's great. It's but insane. in a way that's liberating too. Is it? It's well, you're not attached to you know, they become like look at this thing here. Like we've got acetone mag here that, that Kidman's done off on his own. And you know it's done funny? it's done it's like on newspaper print and he's just gone and done it out of his out of the so, okay. up, up the hill. I'm gonna the, my mate just drove uh, rode past on his pushy before. He was my old art director at Trax. Okay. And he goes, you know what Trax need to do? He said they need to go back to newsprint. Why? And make it a community paper again. Just because you can do it inexpensively. There's no overhead. There's no... Yep, and loosen it up. And it's Got just, it. you know... It's, make it for free? Yeah, well, they're like the, the huge criticism, and it's been there for 20 years, is that, you know, the advertisers control the content, which is largely bullshit, you know. Um, is it? Yeah, totally. I've, made, I've edited a mag for 10 years, worked for this one for 10 years. No one's ever told me what I... No advertiser's ever come in and told me that you have to you have to run this guy, ever. Of course. And no, if, I don't think and, that's the argument. Hmm. Like, I, I think it's a little bit more insidious than that, almost, in that... That it's self-censored. Yes. It's yeah. like, who I have as sponsors on the show, I'm never going to talk crap about. Cause, and not only... Not, not even, like knowingly mm. it's just those guys are my buddies mm. they're my friends yeah so i care about them and i wouldn't want to hurt them in any way and i wouldn't want to hurt their their brand or their mm. life their you know life's work in any way yeah and so i'm not going to say anything bad about them that's what it is yeah they're not they and all of them even say you don't have to mention the brand name you don't have to use a promo code mm. you don't have to really we just you know want this organic relationship so they're trying to even like defy it even further but i still internally don't want to yeah you subliminally kind of yeah head off down that way anyway so as a magazine producer do you feel that responsibility at all to those brands that are advertising to look after them yeah probably sure you'd be live you said you didn't right you know but i don't see i'm not sure that like uh i don't know mainstream television even Mm. knows who's advertising like or or maybe the content producer of a given TV show doesn't know which commercials are going to run on their TV yeah. show. So there is a disconnect in that world. Mm-hmm. So I think that's been the criticism with the surf media thing is that it's we're all it's such a small cottage industry mm. that we're all kind of in bed together. Like look, when Andy Irons dies and it's allegedly drug related, you don't want to talk about it, not because you want to cover it up, but because you're friends with the people who are involved in it. Yeah. You know, you're friends with the people who are affected by it. And that's why you don't want to talk about it. The same way you want to talk about your brother if something bad happened with your brother. It's a stuffy little planet, Dave. It yeah. is. It is. So what are your thoughts, though, on surf media 
moving forward, is there a way, is there a viable business Is there model? another golden era coming? Yeah. Who knows? Uh, it won't be in print, as our, current, so? as our current surroundings probably indicate. Um, but do you, and like I, I, yeah, anyone who sits there and whinges about, you know, the surf industry is contracting this, going, do you see less people surfing? No. You know, they're just less beholden to the old model of, of this being surf, you know, surf press over here, surf industry, and, and, and mate, they're more aware of a bigger world. So there's a way, there, there will be a way to do it. Um, it's, it's just, it's still coming to terms with the change of platforms. Like no one has come to, to terms with that. Anyone. You know, to, to come with a viable business model that can really move forward and they have um, outside of the surf world with online, yeah, no, nah, well, not here in Australia. Newspapers, are, even online, they're still struggling. I've used the example on air before, mm. um, but the New York Times, yeah, you know, it's yeah. like it, it may be a bit over that side, like here in Australia, that they're all hemorrhaging, really? like even online, no one, no one's cracked it, so. Um, and it's and and journalism is is dying. Yeah, as a career. Yeah. Um, probably writing is dying as a career. And that's your lane. Yeah, totally. Writing is man. your lane. So I'm in where, a fucking cul-de-sac right now. So where do you, how do you feel about it? I mean, the reality is you don't need a revenue model to write. You can write. Yeah. You can go get a job anywhere you want and just write. Do it in your spare creatively. time. Creatively. Yep. Do you feel optimistic or pessimistic about about your lane? It almost feels like without it's having... a good question. Well, I think that you can actually defile your passion by attaching a revenue to it. You know, like if your passion is photography and then you all of a sudden have to pay the bills and put food on the table yep. for your kids, you start taking wedding mm. photography gigs yeah, yeah, and stuff totally. like that yeah. to do it. So with writing, it would almost be liberating to not have to do it with a deadline and with a... Yeah. Like, my, I, I do worry. Like, I, I I'm eternally optimistic on everything, generally. Okay. Um... I lean towards pessimism on this. I just think you've got a whole generation now who are being conditioned to small increments of writing. Like reading and writing in in long form is is dying. I think that's fairly well accepted, um, and that's that's kind of what I've done for a long time. And I think you, you're conditioning people, <clears throat> and because it's all happened so quickly, you're not going to see what that looks like beyond. Like I said, it's that. It's that shallow and, and wide kind of right. concept where where people today are seeing so much information, but they're seeing it across the whole world yeah. as, as opposed to, to sitting on one thing and parking on it. And and we don't know what that's going to look like in 10 years or 20 years. Once you've got a gener- like one generation, two generations conditioned to, to, to thinking that way and acting that way, um, what it's even going to mean. Yeah. And, and we're all, man, no one knows what it's going to do. So, do you and I have reverence for this print magazine and the imagery in it and the long form writing simply because that's what we were raised on, or is it actually a superior medium? Oh, well, I, we're we're always going to say it's a superior medium, and and because that's what we grew up with, you know. I think, and kids aren't as attached to it, obviously, because it's not the way they grew up with it. Yeah, um, it's a hard one to answer because well, you're always going to defer to to what the way you were raised with it and and I'm a traditionalist kind of generally and I and I have a huge respect for for that whole 
model and how it's all kind of evolved and the people in it and um and it does man you t- it, it's fucking personal when you see it all collapsing and, and all these people that you hang around all disappear and you don't see them anymore and and they're gone and um and you don't people don't see that i mean the reason why it's worth asking that question or even answering that question is because um if it is a superior medium quality content will always reign supreme you know what i mean so yep. if the medium is superior and you dedicate the time and the, the resource to it the viewers will find it those kids who are used to the instagram thing mm. maybe instagram's the fan yeah. maybe instagram goes away and <laughs> then you know what i mean or it just becomes something else but that long form writing and printed imagery will come back in some other form or some other way and and so you being kind of the guy who has the most reps under his belt doing it can benefit from that by adapting to it'll it. It'll always be there in some form. It's just a, a, as to what piece of the pie it'll actually occupy. But like I said, like the big worry is that you're getting generation on generation now conditioned. That'll be interesting. With with really quick access to a lot of information and they're trying to see everything, mm-hmm. you know. And, and how that actually works, you know, when you do 10 years of it and 20 years of it and does this stuff even count? Um, you know, will anyone read 2,000 words? Will anyone read 10,000 words? Will anyone read a book? Um, yeah, I think people... Well, so that's my next question was um, books are even a longer form. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You've got a couple it's, that are on your docket? Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to clear a couple. Um, getting... Yeah, the the bite thing hasn't helped. My We've missed about 11 deadlines on one of them. But yeah, Nick and I are working on a like a narrative history of pro surfing um, that we're most of the way through. So although we have missed a, a, a bunch of deadlines on it. Um, yeah. Does that, does that feel optimistic? Do the publishers um, have any expectations for it? Does it seem like a viable revenue source? Well, well, I think the interesting thing with the book market, because you live so far at the other end, of the the spectrum when you turn like people's attention and how they engage with information how it's so far at the other end that the people who are looking to get so far away from instagram and everything else like that's the logical place they head is to sit down with a book and that's like that's the that's the most cathartic thing they can do Mm -hmm. is to to detox themselves from 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 thumbing through um posts to sit with the book for an hour yeah so and that the book market is actually, I think, is quite buoyant. I think it's actually, Rebound. as a result, well, I think it's, it's, it sits as the, the natural correction to this the whole digital overload. And as a result, probably does pretty good, whereas a magazine sits in the middle. Got it. You know, it's it's not quite the, you know, if you're really looking to get away from it, it the magazine's still, you know, it's, it's still linked to Instagram. Everything in the magazine ends up in Instagram, you know, it, whereas a book is just a book. It's words on a page and it forces you and that's why like with my kids I just go I just hammer them I just go you've got to read I make them read I just take the phones fucking off them I said you've got to read because it forces your brain to actually imagine this the scenarios so as you read it you've actually got to picture what's happening and where it is and 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 that doesn't happen with a magazine it doesn't happen with Instagram so yeah I I'm certainly more optimistic about the future of books mm. and long-form storytelling um, than I am probably about magazines. What are your What are your current obligations moving forward? I was asking you this morning about um, Surfer Magazine. I've always looked forward to your contest write-ups. 
What are your obligations moving forward as a writer for this 2019? Uh... I haven't spoken to, to Todd personally about kind of the whole new overlords and how all that's, but he's commissioned a, b- a bunch of print stuff, said we're on for contest reports. I don't think I'm, man, they're, they're fucking tiring. <laughs> they're hard work. Um, I think anyone who does them, I'm like to try and do them daily. Like it's great when you're there and you're engaged with it on site, but to do them remotely and have to follow them and stay up at night out of time zones is just, mate, it's just death. Yeah. Um, so I'll probably pull them back a little bit in terms of, of number, but try and make them a little more pointy, maybe. Okay. Um, I wonder too. I actually read them, um, but I'm wondering, like as you're talking about the book and kind of a book is something you can revisit, and certainly this thing that you're doing with Nick Carroll, it's mm. kind of historic and it creates a context to understand a lot of other surfing in. Mm-hmm. The covering a contest result on a day-to-day basis mm. is almost the opposite of that. Yeah. It's just, it goes immediately into the ether and gets washed away. And I can't shoot. I mean, there's probably instances in an event that will get referenced years down the road. But the daily writing thing feels like a tremendous amount of work without <laughs> the lasting kind of thing that you're talking about is yeah. important in writing. You know yeah. what I mean? That it just blows away. Yeah, it's a lot I mean, of work. A lot of work, and it just disappears. Yeah, uh, really quick, um, which makes it. It's like you so often you just sit there and just go, "Why did I fucking put so much effort into that?" Mm-hmm. It's and you got to do another one tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and round two runs tomorrow. No one cares about fucking round two anyway. But it's like, but it's like it has been the the one up uh, the the real the thing that's dawned on me about this bite thing. And yeah, I suppose you get to a point in your life where you've got to just do stuff that matters. I think so. And 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 mean something. And and like the the last couple of weeks, you know, diving into this and and having to um, kind of involuntarily kind of front it in a way has been like sits completely to the polar opposite of doing a contest report mm-hmm. about round two in Portugal. You know, <laughs> it's. Like, <laughs> it's and there, and it really has there's certainly a reward to that um you sleep better what surf media do you follow personally where do you get all your surf content uh i'm not a huge digester of it um i don't spend a lot of the day in it i read beach beach group religiously do you? which might seem odd um why is that odd i don't know i just think because i work on the other yeah i work for the opposition um but like, because Derek and I have worked, you know, for the best part of twenty years together and been in the same circle, um, <clears throat> and and I just and I, what they've kind of done, they've obviously taken it to a level that's that's beyond. It's like it's kind of like a meta level. But I even when I ran tracks like fifteen years ago, there was a real piss takey element to it, and it, it, it was it was it was uniquely Australian at that point because it didn't really happen in America, mm-hmm. and I think that's why so many crew of have kind of latched onto Chaz because he's probably the first guy over there that's really done it and run with it. Um, and as a result, it's like, man, he's just owned it. Um, but we, we were, the tracks, like, because it's a uniquely, like, it was uniquely Australian. We used to look at the American mags and go, man, it's, it's so fucking serious. It's like they really take themselves so seriously and just analyzing everything. And, like, for us, it's fucking, it's just surfing, man. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. But I do, oh, yeah, so... I, I love reading Beach Grit, um, like all the surface stuff. Obviously, I've like under, I've had close relationships with all those editors. Um, you know, the past from from Moro through to, to Joel to Brendan to Todd, 
but I, I really do genuinely love the evolution of what they've done and their kind of their dedication to at least putting their own mark on it at certain points. Um, beyond that, not much. Mm. Yeah, Instagram. Really, I get my kicks everywhere else. Um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadly, well, now I'm an Instagram influencer. Apparently, yeah, you are. It's like <laughs> I'm playing the game, bro. I'm gonna see you selling posts. I'm gonna like see you selling fit tea on your Instagram. <laughs> yeah, look for my new range of bite t-shirts. But it's, oh, it's heavy. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Um, who surfing do you enjoy watching? Ooh, good question. Um, I've rephrased it from like, who's your favorite surfer, which yeah, is the know, latest yeah. question of all time. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Um, oh, I get to see because we're up here in Byron obviously so there's a lot of crew come through here and you see a lot of crew um, but I do see like a lot of the free surf crew kind of base themselves around this area like Chipper's up the road um, like Noah's through here a lot like uh, Craig's up here a bit Dion's got a place here and I do love watching all those guys surf like you know actually what's got me and it's, it's probably an adjunct of the, of the tour coverage it's like fucking Italo, man. Seriously, I because I'm in Hawaii for like a lot of a lot of time at the end of the year, and he's one of those guys that comes early. Like he, he'll turn up at the start of November, and and staying we're staying kind of roughly kind of he stays next door, and so you see, mate, that guy surfs like five times a day. Really, it's fucking radical. And every one of those surf, he'll paddle out like he'll paddle out at like eight foot onshore back door on a soft top. Right and go and do and sit there and and couple of spinners, but he'll link it through to the inside. Every wave he, he beaches every wave. It's fucking phenomenal, and then runs around and goes and does it again. And this just happens hour after hour, surf after surf, with no depletion of energy. Like, and then he'll go like he'll pop up. There's like there's seven of him out there. Hmm. There's like there's one there's one That's guy funny. one guy on the left, and then he's over on like the insanities like bottomless sand pit over there and then there's another he's it off the wall and he's getting barreled and it's gnarly yeah it's like man by far hands down the most entertaining surfer in the world to watch that's great insight Mm. because we don't see a lot of that stuff and like even i think it was surfer or surfer films posted a clip two or three days ago of him it was like two waves a right and a left Mm. on like a knee high shin high small wave and he did like this drifting backside 360 <laughs> on one. It was very um, small and not threatening, but just like radical, you know, just so radical. And I'm thinking to myself, Idolo does that every single day wherever he surfs, but he doesn't have a camera crew following him around. Like if mm. he wanted to actually yeah. do a daily Instagram post of his session, like you're talking about, oh, that man. would be compelling. Like that, Jamie O'Brien's doing, or like Ben Gravy is doing, yep. but it was Idolo. That whole day, that like whole day yeah. is a fucking movie, right there. Right. Like, and he did all this, and it was like there was one particular day it was onshore and kind of six eight foot. No one was shooting. There's right. no one around shooting. Right. He's he's just doing this because he can, you know, like launching into the wind, like huge big forehand hangers, and then like trying to get barreled like over back door, and then just it's just he he is a freak. Yeah, he really An is. absolute freak. Yeah. Um, it'll be a shame almost if he doesn't win a world title. You know, there's there's another ongoing conversation we always have on the podcast, which is like, is the best surfer in the world winning world titles? And you can yeah. always argue, well, there's a bunch of world-class surfers that aren't even on tour, Dane Reynolds mm-hmm. or whomever. So the answer can always be no. 
But even on tour, is the best mm. surfer on tour winning the world title? And if Idolo doesn't, it becomes a question of, well, is it because he's just so kind of uh, devil may care? He's doing stuff like that where he should be dedicating mm. that amount of time towards trying to get a 10-point ride out at backdoor rather than riding a soft top. Yeah, you yeah. can make that argument <laughs> if you wanted to. Because Gabriel Medina, by the way, yeah. Adriana DeSouza, yeah. those guys are just focused on the world title. They don't yeah. care about having fun. Totally. They're yeah. just going to win a Very purpose-driven. Yeah. yeah. No, uh, I don't reckon it does always. I think there's a hugely attritional nature to the tour that's inbuilt to it. I agree. Whether that's with, with time or with with judging or how it works it's it like man it grinds down the 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 spikes in performance and the and the and consistency wins in the long run yeah and i think um and i don't like i'm not saying that's actually wrong because i think that's the purpose of a world title you think is so? yep like you can and, I, and I, you'll throw philippe out there straight away like he will shine at a couple of events and just completely just scramble your 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 brain with places even you won't expect it like J Bay like no one ever saw that coming right um, but in the long run he can't get there you know he's been he's only just short he's not far from it um, and Italo probably falls in like Italo just did stuff last year like we said was just fucking amazing but he'd go from he'd win an event and then get twenty fifth and yeah and it's and it does reward consistency and whether you you know um, whether you want to re-engineer the point system to to reward those kind of sparkly moments more, then you know. But Just, I don't. I don't think anyone argues that, that Gabriel Medina last year was was hands down the the best guy won. That's that's proof in case right then. You you could almost argue against it up until pipe and then the way that he performed at pipe and back door was just unflappable we were in the backyard because we were all on the piss because Joel had lost that morning and and so we were all like we were fucking blind in the backyard and we were sitting there watching watching when he launched that when he got behind against was it Geordie no who was it no who do you have before Geordie in the quarters nah who do you have in the no Connor he had Connor Coffin in the Waters and Connor, oh, yeah. Connor, Connor had a couple. Connor, Connor had a couple. good for a minute. Yeah, 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 yeah. Fucking kid, like, stood up and everyone's going, you know, because we're obviously cheering Julian on. Yeah. We're going, oh, yeah. And then literally within a minute, like, Medina just went, pulled straight into pipe and then just and then just floated out, like, in this huge fucking just drifting hangar. And, and we're just going, man. We're all just sitting there, just going, just give it to him. It was completely. I it, like that was just a boss situation. The the problem I think with the tour, it doesn't. I don't think it's a re-engineering of the point system. I think it's fewer surfers on tour. <laughs> if Felipe wasn't threatened yeah. by losing to the thirtieth surfer on mm. tour because he had a bad round two heat and yeah. whatever, it would eliminate that. Yep. You know, if you had 10 guys on tour surfing, which then you could run the event in the best conditions of a swell window at a given spot, then it's the best surfers in the world surfing the best waves in the world. The funny thing with doing this book, the, the book Nick and I are doing, you see patterns repeating like all through it. Interesting. Right? One of them is that anyone from outside the surfing who looks at it, looks at pro surfing and how it's run, just goes, there's fucking too many guys. It's like, this thing goes forever. Um, I can't get it. Why are these guys still so like? There's too many. Just give me the ten best guys. 
anyone from outside it who tries to run it, that's what they say. It's too no, they run because it. because what because what happens is obviously pro surfing. It's a power dynamic always. And it's a balance between the people who pay for it, the surfers who do it, um, and to a degree other parties around the outside. But the surfers have always will always lobby for more for numbers, you know, solidarity, and and when they've got the power, they they try and bring that in. But when the when the brands have the power, they do a cull and try and bring the numbers down because the really the, the it's to make it workable, to make it watchable, it's got to fit within a swell. If you're fed income about about one swell, one swell, it's got to, which is Give three me days. give me three days max to you know, so a day up, one day at the top of the swell, a day down to run it, and that's even that's been generous, I reckon. Um, and you've got to make something that fits within that, and even now it doesn't fit within that. The Big Wave World Tour does, and then the Longboard Tour potentially yep. will, and the Airborne mm-hmm. thing that they're doing. Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see if the CT takes cues from those. I can't. Yeah, it's like. I, I, I'm not sure who wears the pants here. I know Dirk pays for it, but I thought the first thing when he came and took, took over, I'm going, well, well, here's someone who's just going to take over and actually engineer it as a sport that people outside of, outside of surfing can understand, which would be the first, and the first part of that would be to just to really streamline it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't happen. And it still hasn't happened. And it mm-hmm. still runs too long. Mm-hmm. You and I both know that, Dave. it's interesting Um, another question I wanted to ask you was uh, why do you only ride pointy shortboards (laughs) (laughs) but it's it's the most contrarian thing you can do here in Byron seriously it really is you're an outlier if you want to if you want to make an alternative point here in Byron just paddle out on a 510JS (laughs) you are fully Um, why though like uh, and while you think, I'll tell you the reason why I don't mm. is because I've gotten worse at surfing, basically, and I need <laughs> yeah. more. I need more grace. Yeah, I, I'm getting to the point where I probably need to start putting more volume in, but I'm fighting it hard. Um, and it's like, and it's just this is amazing because I'm, mate, I'm the same age as Kelly, okay? And I've watched that motherfucker. You have the same haircut. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Streamline. Hey, do you like? Do you it's like good. our surfing well poster so it, over here? Yeah, so do make you sure you grab that, that imprint. Make sure you grab that later. I will. And it'll be straight on to me. But um, but I mate, I like I'm the same age as Kelly. We've grown up with him, man. Just watching him redefine everything. So that's why you paddle out. Like we surfed this morning, right? But did you notice that the the younger guys cruised and the older guys were more fucking serious about turning? I did not notice did that. I'm I thinking about it I now. Said, yeah. You're right. Yeah. There was like, like the older the guys, there was You're another right. bald guy paddled out. He was on another another JS. He wanted to turn and he was like serious about kind of, whereas the young guys were all on all on weird kind of like little pods and and stuff. And But it's, I'm part of that generation where you're kind of trying to def- defy time in the way Kelly has. But Kelly's not writing pointy shortboards, really. I mean, he's writing mm-hmm. small boards, but he's writing alternative equipment. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. But man, if I had if I had seven days a week and fucking a bank a bottomless bank account, I'd be writing all sorts of shit and going surfing four times a day too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I get one shot, like one shot every day or second day or so. So here's my question. I'm going to try. Yeah, I understand what you're saying. 
my question is, are you catching waves? Are you having fun? Are you doing those turns? I didn't see, today we were kind of split up and I didn't see your waves. Did you do what you wanted to do on that shortboard? Dave, I'm deeply offended. You didn't see my wave. <laughs> you asshole. I saw your wave, mate. You saw me catch it, but you were out the back. You didn't see what happened. Huh? Right? You, you didn't see I mean? my turn on the inside. Sorry, dude. You I'm missed, sorry. You missed it, mate. Seriously. I'm sorry. <laughs> I was dodging 1,000 people trying to avoid getting hit. Um, my point is, for the waves that we surf today, mm. a pointy shortboard probably isn't the ideal thing. No. So if your goal is to do what you said, I understand it's a respectable mm. goal, but based on the conditions, are you even able to do it? Yeah. Well, it's today, not so much. Other days, yeah. Okay. But I, I have this problem. I'm a, I have problems jumping between boards too. Oh, really? Okay. And, I, and I've always had... I told you, man. I, like I told you, I sit here because we're in the Surfing World office. I eat the same sandwich every day. Right. I go over to the servo over here. It's like ham, cheese, tomato, and lettuce. I eat the same one every day. I like it. It's really good. I don't feel any need to change it. <laughs> and I feel the same about my 510 JS thruster that sits in the back of my car and the nose is falling off and and I kind of like it. Yeah. And I don't want to change it just for the sake of changing it. Yeah. That's not my argument. It's not for the sake of changing it. You might but I want to have a that board. I want to have a go at that board of yours though. Oh. The one Simon shaped you. Yeah. Yeah. Tell you're, me about you're that. You're welcome to. It's a uh, 610 channel bottom twin fin from Morning of the Earth surfboards. I was inspired by Torn Martin riding it at J Bay. Um, of course, I don't surf waves like J-Bay ever, but I did know I wasn't going to bring a board here. I was going to order one board, and I wanted a one-board quiver for the trip. Mm. Turns out I then added Gold Coast as a stop on my trip, so I'm linking with somebody there who's just going to let me borrow short boards because that's what you need, yeah. obviously. Um, but otherwise, this board was supposed to get me through the trip, and it's more importantly, it's different than everything I have in the quiver back home. So I don't own a mid-length. I've never ridden a mid-length. I've actually been opposed to mid-lengths. He kind of lit that thing up today. I did? Yeah. No, dude. I mean, I caught waves on it. That's the thing is, out there, it was just, the waves were so crappy, you just need to catch the waves. And so that thing put me in position to catch waves. Yeah. Um, but I felt the sensations. I'm kind of mm. like, whatever torn does on it at J-Bay, I could feel those sensations in the board. I would like to get it in decent surf, you know? Which may not happen in the next week. Hey, mate, you're, I'm turning the tables here. Please. This is your first day in Australia, your first whole day. Yeah. Where you've had to yourself. How are you finding it? I love it. Dude, <laughs> I want to move here. Everybody told me they're like, you're going to want to stay. It is, these are my people. I mean, mm. not Byron specifically, mm. But it's a much mellower pace. Mm. Everything about it is mellower. The people are nicer. The traffic isn't so chaotic. You've got to drive back through Byron to get home, remember? <laughs> yeah, I know. I saw that when I was coming in. Um, I mean, I, I'm Orange County, LA. Yeah. And it's just, it's literally cinder block walled tracked homes. Everything's laid out on a grid, 90 degree angles. And... There's traffic everywhere that you go. You pay for pay for parking everywhere you go. You just, um, and they're not my people. You know, it's mm. like everybody's working more than forty hours a week, yeah. sitting in traffic for an hour each way, only to barely pay for their lifestyle, only to barely get two weeks off a year to go somewhere like this, and then they're really not fully enjoying the two weeks because you have all the stresses of life. And uh, I'm kind of realizing in adulthood that that's not 
the only option. That's not the only way to live. We're a lifestyle country, mate, which yeah. is great if you live here. It won't be great if the Chinese invade, though. Right. Or big oil. <laughs> or big oil. <laughs> it is a lifestyle country. That's, yeah. that's summed up the three minutes that I just tried to put it into words. Mm, that totally. Sums it up You've done well. Time. No, I was interested in what you actually thought. Yeah, had to render down that whole day. Food's, food's great. Wine's great. So I'm a fan. Welcome to Australia, Dave. Thank you, Sean. It's been a pleasure. Always, mate. Where are we surfing in the morning? You call it. Actually, I want you at the pass as a cultural experiment. I don't know. I mean, you've, you've, uh, the way that you've described it makes me not want to go there at all. But uh, whatever. I'm yeah. Oh, good, mate. Good to have you here. Thanks, man. This morning, cause she didn't go to bed You were watching the whites of your eyes turn red The calendar on your wall is ticking The days off you've been reading some old letters You smile and think how much you've changed All the money in the world couldn't buy back those days You pour back your head and the sun burns into your eyes You watch a plane flying Across the kingdom sky Thanks, Sean, for taking the time to chat and for showing me around Byron. And more importantly, thanks for leading the charge for energy reform. It's high time. You can find everything that we discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com, including the film Nevertown, links to Sean's books, and a link to comment on the Equinor proposal. If you enjoyed this show, please do me two favors. Share it with a friend and then rate and review it in Apple Podcasts or whatever app you listen in. Organic growth is what we rely on, and the strength of our audience is what motivates important people like Sean to join our conversation. Thanks for listening. Transmitting from Australia, this is David Scales for Surf Splendor. I'll be back next week, but until then, get back into the ocean, share some waves, and shred them. Across the clear blue sky This is the day